Hello and welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. This is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for listening. When my parents would give me Christmas gifts, they would put these little sticker name tags on them that would say, from Mr. and Mrs. Claus for Adam. My sister and I would wake up early on Christmas morning and our parents would not let us come downstairs until they were ready. And when they were finally ready, we'd descend to find that they had transformed the living room into a winter garden of delights with stockings stuffed with goodies and gifts under the tree and usually some kind of special breakfast treats. We'd open our stockings first and then we'd pull the presents out from under the tree and read the name tags. And of course, I'd get a thrill every time the name tag said from Mr. and Mrs. Claus for Adam or for George or for Manny because those were my nicknames given by my mom, but let's pretend you didn't hear them. I know this sounds like rarefied and idyllic childhood. Um, And it was. Later in life, I became aware of how incredibly lucky I was to have been born to my parents. Shout out to my mom and dad for being pretty special. I definitely don't take them for granted, but that's a story for another time. For now, I just want you to imagine that feeling of finding a present under a tree, perhaps, that says, for you, whatever your name is. When we think of the word forever, I think most of us think of it as a single concept related to time. Forever is a long time, we say. And if we think about the actions we take now, the choices we make on a daily basis, having consequences that last forever, this is a profound and humbling consideration. But after speaking with Gellert Hart of Ambeth Estate Winery, I gained a new insight into forever. <laughs> because that's what Ambeth means. In Welsh, Ambeth is two words, though. And you'll notice that the B is capitalized in the winery's name. So I began to ask, what if the Welsh forever contains a deeper insight by making this idea two words, forever. In other words, it's not just about time. It implies that there is something that we are giving to the future. It reminds me of gift giving. The world we build now is the gift that those who come after us will find under their tree. The work that I do, the way I manage my life, the way I manage land, the ideas I spread and support are not just the means I use to survive. They are gifts for ever, for everyone and everything that comes after me. In this way, forever becomes a meditation on what kinds of gifts I want to leave forever. Will the ever after me be as delighted to find the world that I created as I was to find the gifts tagged for Adam by my parents? And how would this perspective of gift giving change our relationship with our metaphoric children, those who follow ever after us? In the case of Ambeth, It means that their vineyards are head-trained and dry-farmed on steep hillsides since planting, certified organic and biodynamic, and biodiverse with interplantings of olive trees in the vineyard and chickens and sheep with a protective llama rotating through their land. Ambeth is the first winery to make Demeter-certified biodynamic wine in Paso Robles. And to respect this farming, they make all of their wines without adding to or taking anything away from the grapes. And they do all of this not only for practical reasons related to ecosystem and wine quality enhancement, though those are definitely benefits, they do it because it makes their lives more joyful and more beautiful. Gellert and I discuss the role beauty has in this idea of forever, and we get into some very big questions. I was in the middle of reading Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein when I recorded this with Gellert. And the next day, I came across these lines from one of the final chapters. When I drive through 
American suburbia with its fast food restaurants, enormous box stores, and cookie cutter subdivisions, or look upon the architecture of modern office buildings and residential high rises, I cannot help but marvel at the ugliness of it all. I marvel, with indignation bordering on outrage, that we can live in such an ugly world after thousands of years of advances in material technology. Are we really so poor that we can afford no better? What was the point of all this sacrifice, all this destruction? We've created a material world devoid of soul, barren of life, and killing of life. All for what? The pursuit of efficiency, the grand project of maximizing the production of commodities, and underneath that, the domination and control of life. This was to be the paradise of technology, life under control. And finally, we see it for what it is, the strip mall, the robotic cashier, the endless parking lot, the extermination of the wild, the living, the messy, and the sacred. It probably goes without saying, but I highly recommend this book if you haven't read it. When I look at the dominant wine culture, the global monoculture that blindly believes in its own superiority, I see a wine culture built around the pursuit of efficiency, the grand project of maximizing the production of commodities. But what if we began to build our wine cultures around beauty? What if we designed our farms to inspire wonder? What if we tried with wine to embody peacefulness, embrace diversity, enhance connections, and honor the complex community of living beings that we are part of? How would this change the way wine looks? I've begun to think about these questions more and more, and they are beginning to change the way I grow fruit and make and sell wine. Really, they're reshaping everything that I do. And I'm so grateful to Gellert for this conversation, which inspired me further down this path, and for his family's stewardship of a beautiful piece of this earth as a gift for ever. Enjoy. <laughs> well, welcome, Gellert. Thanks for doing this. You're on. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. We've been we've been planning to do this for a while. Uh, I know. Well, and part of that is just because I think it's you know so important to to for you. I, I mean, it's so important for me to talk to you to get you get an episode out with you on here because i think what you guys are doing is uh unique and really important and um really special in the area that you are doing it and kind of the pioneers in that area doing what you're doing and really setting some great examples for for everybody in california but um and i want to jump right into that but would you introduce yourself and you know your winery and where you are um in a nutshell um <laughs> right I'm, i mean just the name we'll we'll dig into the why and the wherefore but with yeah like where are you know ambeth yeah. ambeth <laughs> estate right here uh central coast california we're we're in the uh paso robles region but we're we're more in templeton which is a small town just south of paso and, uh, um yeah and so i'm gellert hart and uh and i'm i'm uh basically the second generation running running ambeth and uh all its intricacies and adaptations uh and uh yeah we've uh we've dry farmed since 2003 we've planted our vines here on 17 acres um property itself is 42 acres but we got about 15 to 17 planted to vines and you... olives and um and olives right and and almonds and walnuts and apple trees and fig trees um we we try to keep it 
pretty biodiverse here. So our, our vineyard looks very different um, in uh, compared to our, our neighbors around here. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, so I want to jump right in and, and I mean, you, you talk a lot about this on the website, but ambeth is a Welsh word that means forever. And, you know, I, I, I love the spirit behind that, but I also think that there's, you know, it, it, what you're doing, I mean, the closest analogy, especially with that word is, is a form of permaculture, like vita, vita permaculture. Yeah. Um, and can you talk about your feelings about that? Like, what, what are you trying to do? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we are a family operation. You know, this was my, my father's idea. I do give him all the credit for this place. I, I really am just uh, taking up the reins. Um, you know, Have you about, embraced it on, on, in your own way? I mean, uh, that's like, did you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's been eight years and it's been a, a big learning curve for me, for sure. Um, you know, my, my father started this basically when I was graduating high school is when um, this operation was getting get go- getting going. And, um, oh, wow. and uh, yeah, I've kind of been involved with it here and there, but it's, um, you know, I, I kind of went off and did my own thing with my own with my own goals. Um, I've always loved this place. I've always loved the idea of, of my father starting this and I, I give him big recognition for, for doing it. And now that I've been doing it for, um, you know, it's just been me and my wife for about eight years now. We, we came aboard um, full time about 10 years ago. I uh, kind of followed my father around for a couple years and just reading books and uh, meeting a bunch of people and asking questions and kind of basically just learning from from the ground up without going to a, a school or anything like that. Yeah. So, uh, it's been a huge learning curve for me and, um, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, the bi- biggest, biggest thing is how much work it is. <laughs> it's like, um, it's definitely a lifestyle, which is right. what, what we love, uh, for sure. It's, it's a very seasonal thing and things change so much. Um, just with the growing side of things. And then, you know, and then you got the winery stuff, you got the sales side of things. So there's so much going on. Um, yeah, but I think that's, that's kind of what we have embraced. You know, it's, it's kind of like almost every day is, is a challenge and definitely over the last eight years, it's been, it's been getting easier and easier, you know, as you get into the rhythm of things and you kind of expect, you know, things, you know, at least expect, know that things are going to happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> instead of being surprised by things you know it's more like right, right. Oh, this could happen it happened a couple of years ago so um you know so it's been getting easier and easier but yeah we we love it up here um kind of well, it, would, it would be really it, to imagine doing anything else right now no i and I, I love that and i feel that but also you, you started down your own path and sort of you know it sounds like transitioned into this path so i'm really curious about was there a moment when things clicked for you or were you were you pressured did your dad twist your arm or um uh, you know what what was what what brought you in to where you are now um you know um it's kind of just family business you know um i didn't really have any plans to come in and do this it's always been, um, you know, kind of like my, my family visit and 
kind of my home base, I guess you can say. And, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, my father was at a point where he wanted to slow down a little bit himself. And um, some things happened with, uh, you know, closely to our, our family, some, some dramas. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, he, uh, you know, basically invited me and Robin um, after just uh, actually visiting us in Hawaii um, and, you know, just um, just figuring out life, figuring out what what would fulfill our lives and everything. And um, he invited us to basically, you know, do you have any interest in running this place? You know, and it, so it was kind of a big surprise to us, but it mm. didn't take us long to say, yeah, no problem. Like, that sounds excellent. Um, okay. Bas- basically come back home and, you know, give it a shot. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, no, that sounds, yeah. So it sounds like you already had some similar values and uh, appreciation for what was ga- going on there. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, just, you know, farming in general and growing things. I've kind of always had a green thumb. Yeah. Um, in, in other things, I'd say. Um, but vines uh, <laughs> are, um, you know, they're, they're, they are extremely hardy. Um, yeah. And well, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then wine has always been kind of a part of my life. You know, my, my dad is very European. <laughs> so right. you know, I grew up uh, having wine, you know, um, at, at the table since, uh, you know, in very small quantities, but, you know, already just kind of introduced to it at a, at a young age and always had a kind of appreciation for, for wine. And, and it's, uh, just so many different nuances and terroirs and yeah, regions. It's always been like a, a, a huge world that, um, since coming here, it's just, it's opened up and it's like, it's a whole, whole different new thing. Um, that we've kind of just <laughs> been riding that train and, and, you know, I don't, that's what's so great about the wine world is like, you know, I've been doing this for a bit now and it's, I don't feel like I know anything. <laughs> you know, especially when you travel and you're talking to people and it's like, wow, you know, and you, you just, it's, it's a, it's a really cool world of uh, exploration and, and I'm sure you feel that way too about it. But, yeah. Limitless um, learning. Yeah. Limitless. Uh, it's a cool and, thing to be a part of for sure. Well, I mean, let's, I, I just want to lay out some of what's unique about Ambeth. Um, really, like you said, established uh, early 2000s. And uh, if, if I'm correct, was, has been farmed biodynamically from the, from the beginning, uh, has been dry farmed essentially from the beginning. Um, and, and I want to dig into the, some of the details of that, if you're willing. Um, and you've been making natural wine from the beginning. Is that also true or was that a transition that happened with the winemaking um so yeah you know my my father has always been the least manipulation possible um you you add sulfites and that's about it yeah Uh, okay bottling and we're talking like 20 um parts per million and um you know uh and then 2011 we just cut out the sulfites we said what are we doing um we uh you know we always had, um, you know, a couple skews that, that were just zero, zero, and they always just ended up being just so much more vibrant and interesting. And so 2011 is when we kind of everything across the board was just zero, zero. Um, 
And yeah, yeah. And we have been biodynamic from, from the get go. Um, you know, this was just uh, cow grazing land, cattle grazing land. When, when my father found this place, this Shangri-La, um, <laughs> so th- there was nothing planted here. There was nothing sprayed here. Um, and it was just a super clean slate to do what we, what uh, he dreamed of doing. Um, so yeah, dry farmed, uh, each vine got a five gallon drip bucket when we planted in 2003. Right. And that was pretty much, you know, back when the weather was kind of a little more normal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, a couple, a few years of, um, you know, good rainfall and everything got established really well. And, um, you know, we've done, we've only done a, a few replantings since then. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a, a roller coaster with the weather for sure. Um, we, we, uh, we've been combating that a little bit and, uh, you know, the five-year drought that we had, you know, basically 2012 to 17, 16, 17, that was a pretty, um, pretty gnarly time around here. I mean, we were getting like, uh, I think it was two inches of rain in, uh, the 12, 13 and 14 season altogether. And that was, um, you know, that was kind of interesting to be dry farming at that time. We were still getting fruit, but, uh, you know, like almost next to nothing. It was, it was kind of scary. Um, but we, we stayed on it and we stayed dried. And then, um, 17, we had double the amount of rainfall. You know, the following year was a little, um, it was a little average. And then, um, we've kind of been slipping back into this dryness until of course, putting in irrigation October, we got more than double rainfall this last year. So (laughs) it's kind of, um, it's, um, we put in irrigation on our bottom half of our vineyard. So it was, it's kind of been this little insurance, um, for us because, uh, we want, we want to do this forever. Um, and right. But if the vines die, that's a, that's a problem, right? If we can't produce anything, then yeah. So it's a little insurance, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully the rains do come back. Um, but I don't, you know, you can't depend on anything like that these days. So yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, we're, we're heading deeper and deeper into extreme uncertainty with, in terms of agriculture, it seems like I actually I just read, actually uh, just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just, you know, there, there's always like um, forecasts and stuff that is that's released, and you know, some of some of the some of the ideas is like we're going into another hundred year cycle drought, you know, and you know, but some people say we're going into a ten year wet cycle coming up here, and you know, it's um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I just read an article that we're entering um, like a extremely scientific back, you know article about the sun and sun activity and that we're going into a period that will last like that started in 2020 actually will last till 2053 that's considered um this extreme low activity period for the sun that matches you know hasn't been seen since like the medieval mini ice age like in the 1600s or something like that so that literally we could be entering a period where because of this decreased sun activity will be the global temperature could actually be decreased by a degree uh, Celsius, which will basically conceal all of the 
global warming <laughs> it will like offset all of global warming until 2053 in which it'll like all come crashing back uh, with a fury basically um, yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah right so who yeah exactly like uh, you do hear a lot of conflicting things but for sure we don't know it sounds like nature um, does have a way of balancing itself out and hopefully hopefully that goes true with the weather too but um you know we just have to take it year by year <laughs> yeah well this idea of forever i mean how does that um resonate in i mean do you you know how does that resonate in the context of this what do you think about um you know so yeah the word uh ambif it's it's two separate words that's why that b is uppercase um mm. but in welsh it, it is literally means um forever and um that's you know, the, the whole idea and the whole um, theory of our farming and um, just how we're doing it here. Hopefully this this piece of land will be able to be farmed forever because um, it is truly self-sustaining, um, you know, with our with the, the dry farming aspect of it for sure. Um, but even with minimal irrigation, now that now that's a new thing, it's kind of we have to watch our wordings on that now. Right, right. But, um, but you know, the fact that we have animals on the property, um, you know, we only use holistic and homeopathic teas. So they don't, we don't destroy the microflora that's going on with the soils. Um, you know, we have a roaming chicken coop. So I'm looking at chickens right now running through underneath the vines. And, right. um, you know, so we, we do all these things to try to just be, super self-sustainable and take care of the soil which in turn will take care of the plants and um you know so it's this ongoing thing of you know even if the water runs out here um or if these giant places around us that are slowly killing the soil through synthetic fertilizers and and salt buildup and things like that um hopefully we'll be able to be this little little piece of land that just you know we, we can farm this forever and hopefully keep it in family. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, all right. So you are dry farmed or now minimally irrigated in parts and biodynamic um, head trained vines uh, in interplanted rows of, I think olive trees. It sounds like you have some fruit trees true, but too, are they, are they within the vineyard context or they have their own sort of separate little like around the house kind of thing? Uh, the fruit and nut trees are, are mostly around the house. Um, okay. and then we have, we, we have planted apple orchards that are kind of, um, and orchards, I mean, by like 20 trees, um, right, you know, right. kind of in the vineyard. Um, the olive trees are definitely right in the vineyard. They actually split the blocks up. Right. Um, so they, they run vertically along the hills. Um, yeah. And so it's, uh, it, it's and definitely a, a monocrop out here um, right, right then you've got the chickens but you also have uh, a little herd of sheep that with a guard alpaca is that right <laughs> a llama llama oh it's a llama okay i wasn't sure um, llama. She'll, she'll get really angry if you call her an alpaca but, <laughs> she'll she's spit on me probably <laughs> you will but she's um she yeah she's the she's the queen sheep you know um right right so sheep, and has she decreased predation on the sheep? Um, you know, she helps a lot. Um, okay. We, we do have a lot of, um, a lot of wild animals up here. Um, 
it's still pretty rural, even with what's going on around us, a lot of fences going up and things, but, um, yeah, we, we haven't had much predation in the, in the last, uh, since, since we've had sheep the last 17 years or so, but, um, and do you have guard dogs as well? I wouldn't call them guard dogs. No, we, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're family they're, dogs. They're family dogs. They're mascot dogs. Um, yeah, <laughs> help herd and things like that. But gotcha. no, we don't have any great Pyrenees or anything with with. Uh, gotcha. No. So you you have you have big cats as well as coyotes, I imagine, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We we have mountain lion sightings all the time around here, and. Um, Coyotes are definitely around. Um, we, we don't really see bears anymore. We did see, you know, our last bear was like 14 years ago outside of our fence. But, wow. um, you know, it's, yeah, it's just still pretty wild. There's a lot of um, varmints, I guess you call them. <laughs> Raccoons <laughs> and, and uh, gophers and squirrels. And, um, yeah, now that the, the coyotes are being kind of pushed out by uh, nearby farms. It's, um, the squirrel population is, is almost our, our biggest enemy right now, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I was going to uh, ask. Yeah. Like, so what, what are you guys doing? Yeah. They, they eat everything. They, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll eat the entire vineyard if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Everything wants to eat the grapes here on uh, turkeys and quail and, uh, huge, you know, locust sized swarms of birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so no, we, we do, um, because of, because of all those, we, uh, we do have to net the vines. Um, okay. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. We do net the vines. Uh, I think it's kind of nice because it's usually that time of year where it's, we get the greatest heat and sun and the nets actually do get, give a little shade and kind of okay. pull the canes down a little bit to protect the fruit. So I've, yeah. I've kind of always been against the nets because yeah, it's, it's not very natural looking, but, um, you know, the, the, the only other way to do it is to get like air cannons or, you know, back in the day, we used to wake up at four 30 and every hour go out and shoot some shotgun, you know, shells over and just basically try to scare things off. And, uh, right. Can't do that anymore with so many neighbors. Um, <laughs> um, even bird shot. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Um, we're farming over here, whatever. Um, <laughs> Steel BBs raining down on roofs. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, no one minds that stuff. So yeah, we do use nets. Um, and we, we do, you know, um, we do trap for squirrels and gophers just to keep the populations down a little bit. Um, yeah. not, not ashamed of saying that it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that, um, it's just necessary. Um, yeah, because we have so many squirrels and gophers, um, and we have two kind of big forests on our property that we leave untouched. And because of that, there's, we have a bunch of owls and hawks and, um, bats and, you know, um, critters that live in our, in our forest that kind of seem to come out and take care of our vineyard at the same time. So it's, it's right, kind of that. Yeah symbiotic relationship we, we kind of love our forest because of that but if you go yeah. out there at night there's you know owls um all over the place we have red tail hawks all over the place and um we have a, a golden eagle on our property right now raising some some little chicks so oh, lovely um 
so it's cool in that, in that sense that it's, it's like pretty wild. And, and again, it's sort of like that um, thing taking care of itself, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Giving, creating the biodiverse, uh, I mean, or allowing for the biodiverse balance to happen. Um, and you, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, around to feed those things. So they stay around obviously. So, right. You know, our, I, our idea, uh, I, I, I hate um, always uh, talking against our our um, other vineyards around here, but you know their their idea is to exterminate everything, right. <laughs> you know, right. um, yeah. you know with bait and you know uh, poisons and yeah, and you know it's like a gopher eats poison and then doesn't make it in its hole when it dies, and a, an owl eats that, and all of a sudden it's just this ripple effect. So um, yeah. you know, I look at these other vineyards. Um, and you know, 250 acre vineyards. And I just kind of see them as black hole for the, the ecology around here, you know, um, yeah. beautiful vines, dark green, you know, <laughs> uh, watered yeah. really well, shallow root watering, all that stuff. But, um, <laughs> it, it's just, there's nothing alive on the property. It's the, it's the craziest thing to see. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, why, given all of this is, is the natural way of making wine important to you? Like, I mean, obviously your dad had this ethos, but, and, but you took it another step further, it sounds like, but why, why is that, what does that have to do with all of this stuff that's happening out on the field? Um, Uh, On the field, but you know, in the ecosystem, (laughs) in the outdoors area. Well, you know, it goes with the health of, um, goes with the health of not just humankind <laughs> ingesting this the wine but uh, you know just uh the the chemicals for it you know the um your, your water waste from your winery having a bunch of things in it that shouldn't be in the environment um uh, uh but yeah that, that's a whole other thing but um no that's you know, a really good point I've, I've never nobody's really ever brought that up uh, on the podcast, but that's, that's such a good point. You're right. Like when you're using Not a lot of these supporting huge corporations that really shouldn't be supported. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's also that. Yeah. You know? So, um, but no, the, it's, uh, you know, it's more of a health conscious thing. Uh, we prefer the taste of natural wines. It's definitely a different taste. Um, but it makes them really exciting and, um, just, you know, fun to talk about and, and experience and everything. So, um, but you know, you grow properly and your wine will basically make itself. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of other folks out there that grow really properly, um, regenerative agriculture and, you know, biodynamics for sure. Organic is, is all great, but, um, you know, and then they bring it into the winery though, and just kind of manipulate it so much that it's, um, what's the point of even farming that way? It's, it's, of course, it's still really important to farm correctly for the environment's sake and the earth's sake, but um, to come in and bring it into the winery and, and change it so much, um, that's weird to us. So we, we never just, we, we just never went that way. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little like less caring of, you know, if people do, manipulated in the winery as long as they're doing that great farming because you know that to me is way more important in a you know global sense but yeah, yeah I, I i also sort of tend personally to to side <laughs> with, with what you guys are ethos is as well which is like i kind of want to reflect 
what all that great work that was done out in the vineyard, you know, out in the, the, that ecosystem. It's, it's I, the true, true expression of terroir and your environment, right? You know, making it naturally, I think. Um, right. Um, you know, I have, I have no issue with sulfite adage. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's great for some people and it definitely does, um, you know, preserve the, um, the, you know, um, keeps a wine flavor where it's at, you know, cause it's like our wines definitely do taste differently throughout time. Um, yep. but again, it goes back to that. That's what makes it exciting. You know, <laughs> it's, um, right it's it always tastes good that's the great thing um it's just different sometimes and maybe it tastes a little flat sometimes and but guess what you put a cork on it and you taste it two days later and it's it's going to be better again so um yeah i had that experience i tasted with you guys i think i mentioned this where um that was years ago and i got a bottle of your morvedra and um Amir, it was my favorite one from the tasting, which is why I bought it. Um, but I hung on to it for like, I don't know, maybe just maybe only like a year and opened it. And it was like a whole different animal in a, in a fantastic way. Like it was even much more of all the things I loved about it was even more of that. Um, yeah. Very different, very evolved and yeah, living thing. Which it, was, it, is, it is living wine. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's... Um, it, it better for your gut, better for your health. Um, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully more exciting as you open them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a cool thing. Well, let me ask you some technical details about what you're doing. Um, first of all, with the sheep, uh, I mean, the one big question, so you're going on vacation here in a couple days or some, I don't know if it's vacation, but you're leaving the country. It sounds like what happens with your sheep and, you know, like how hard is it for you to leave for more than a day when you have, uh, animals? It's very hard, um, yeah. <laughs> very hard. And it's, you know, it's stressful if we don't feel like we have the right people to, uh, you know, friends or, um, you know, we have employees, um, from time to time help out and, and, you know, basically property sit, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, once you have animals, it's, it's a whole, Yeah you know, it's just like leaving your kids at home, you know, you, you, you want them to be as safe as possible. And, um, yeah, you, you, you know, you would only leave them with the best care possible. So, um, it's, it's always a thing for sure. And it's, it's not easy to just be like, yeah, we're going to take a, take a weekend and just go somewhere. Um, yeah. Is, do you think this is a, one of the challenges if somebody wants to farm regeneratively, uh, you know, which I think at this point Im implies some sort of animal, uh, or, you know, animal or, you know, other creature, whether it's geese or chickens or pigs I, or whatever integration. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's sort of like it's fun. into a lifestyle at that point. Once you cross that threshold, it's like, yeah, that's your life. Like this is. Oh, once <laughs> you have animals. Yeah. You, you realize that it's like, you know, we have people visit all the time and it's like the, sh the sheep seem so docile and just kind of, you know, like, oh, really? You just give them a little bit of a grain and, you know, and check on them every once in a while. And um, it's not like, <laughs> you know, and it's like uh, if you want to do it properly, it's, you know, you got to rotate graze them, which means you got to have good fencing. You have to have good fencing. Um, 
and we're using poly like poly wire portable stuff that you change uh we do some electrical fencing stuff but um luckily we have neighbors that um you know just have open land um oh and so we you know we kind of have different paddocks now that we've kind of have fenced uh you know proper grid fencing so um because electrical fencing like i said you leave for a day of course it's going to fall down and the sheep are going to be out on the main road you know and (laughs) they all they always want to be on the other side of the fence no matter how green the grass is right under where they are (laughs) (laughs) so it's yeah it i think that's um you know probably the hardest thing is is just managing their grazing needs and also not, not to overgraze um right because you really can mess up your next year's plot um you know if you right. leave them in a spot too long or you leave them in the vineyard too long and you get bud break <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> uh, you know we're, we're lucky here we do have some really great neighbors and we, we have about you know 65 acres around us um that we kind of they're, they're able to rotate graze year round right uh, so yeah, we, we've kind of nailed it down to have different pastures at different times and we can move them around, um, uh, kind of do more intense grazing and then move on rather than just let them sit on a property until it's grass is all gone and barren and then move them on. Um, and so, yeah, it's managing like that. And then, you know, just, just making sure that they're safe from things, um, <laughs> we, we have neighbors that will tell us, "Oh, saw a mountain lion on the road." Um, you know, so instantly we we kind of have to put on our alarms a little bit and and kind of either move the sheep to safer by the house for a little bit, or you know, just keep a really watchful eye on things. Um, yeah, things like that. It's um, just like all the animals that want to eat our grapes. Um, there are things that want to eat our sheep too. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, um, right. But yeah, no. it, it is a whole other um, world once you once you introduce animals. But we, we feel like they are so critically important to the um, what we call nature spirits on the property. You know, um, if you have this super clean vineyard with no animals in it, you're you're not going to have any um, you're not going to have any manure for composting. First of all, but your, your property is also just going to be dead and your vines are also going to notice that too. They're going to be like, there's no life around us. Um, you know, and I I think that the plants are incredibly smart. Um, and I, I think they really do have the ability to sense that things aren't really alive around us. Um, so, but maybe that helps them produce better. I don't know, (laughs) but you know, you can argue that for sure. But, um, we, I think I think vines like it when there's when there is actual activity around them and, and living creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, vines and everything else. Yeah, I agree. I I noticed that as well. I mean, even in our little backyard here in Los Angeles, having chickens and I mean, all we have now is a cat. But um, yeah, when we could let the chickens roam around, when they had their, you know, of course they dug up things and you know caused the destruction of certain plants <laughs> because yeah. of that but but um also really made the soil you know very alive and and that brought health and vitality to all the other you know sort of perennial plants and yeah, yeah. um there's yeah. definitely an energy when you have 
an animal that lives there. Yeah. And that's their, that's their home. As, and that's you know. truly self-sustaining too, you know, otherwise right. you're going to have to bring in some kind of other thing, um, off property to kind of offset, you know, that's right. A, yeah. You know, you need nutrients in the soil and, um, sheep poop and piss is like the best thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> in our soils and it's like it it loves that stuff um yeah so <laughs> nice yeah. now you just said you you have chickens in the vineyard right now like are you keeping them away from the vine somehow no they're definitely not in the vineyard right now they're, they're oh okay you i gotcha yeah i, okay, I wish nice. we can have them in the vineyard year round and i have heard of uh techniques to do it you know like having super high vines or high trellising or Right. Uh, you know, things like that. I would love to do something like that. I think it's so cool. But um, no, we, we have our sheep on our on our neighbor's property right now. As soon as we have bud break, we do have to take them out. Otherwise, um, right. they'll eat everything. They, they will demolish everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love green leaves. So um, <laughs> as soon as we get bud break, they're out. But as soon as we're done with harvest, they're back in and they, they already start pruning for us. It's um, it's it's kind of a. A cool oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, the other, well, you brought up trellising and you brought up, yeah, uh, like training the vines. So you have head trained vines. And can you talk about, I mean, let's get technical and uh, if you're willing to sort of give a how to do that, like from planting, what you guys do, how you actually train the vines like what years one through three look like what can you talk about that yeah um so yeah head trained vines just means they're um you know basically uh trained to grow uh with their own strength of their trunk up to a certain height um and then they kind of umbrella out uh vines if you don't train them um as we know they just grow on the ground they are they're they're vines so um so what we do with, with head train vines, we, we have tea stakes, um, tea posts on, on every vine. And when the vines are planted, um, we do attach them to the tea posts and they kind of, you know, we raise them to, to climb up the post and get about, um, about two feet, about a foot and a half, two feet tall before we have the, uh, the, the canes spread out from there. Okay. So you know, after like year three, they're pretty much almost on their own. Like you can detach them from the T post and, um, and you know, they, they pretty much stand on their own. Um, of course they can kind of, the, the canes can get pretty big and kind of fall on the ground. And, but, um, you know, we, we have large spacing here. Um, we have 10 by 10 and 12 by 12 foot spacing. So they're, the vines have a lot of um, freedom here. <laughs> they they right. can grow any direction they want, um, and we, you know, um, we attach a few canes. You know, if it's getting a little long or or things like that, it's like we do use the T post of occasionally to kind of help them train to keep on going up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was gonna say, do you like? Have you ever had the problem of? sort of overgrowth where you you're getting canes breaking off because of the weight of the clusters or you know the over vegetative growth of the cane yeah we do um but really surprisingly not that much um okay you know and and we do you know <laughs> probably we, 
we do holistic teas that I think really help with the the structural integrity of the cane and the and the vine itself. Um, okay. Um, you know, we do like a horsetail tea, and um, you know, which has a ton of silica, and it's actually a derivative of um, of sulfur too. Um, so it's actually our our natural homeopathic way of uh, spraying for powdery mildews, but also it strengthens the you know the the structure of of the cane itself so right um it's kind of cool it, it absorbs it and it gets that silica and that calcium and it's um it just makes us for a stronger vine so we we nice. don't get a lot of cane snapping it's so windy up here we're, we're in the middle of templeton gap which is one right. of the, the windiest avas um where we are and um that that's a whole other thing of, of how great it is to actually have wind and how bad it is. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. The ups but, and downs. But with it so windy, we don't get a lot of canes breaking surprisingly. And I does do that also that. reduce your mildew pressure because of the wind? Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely does. Um, you know, we, the coast from us is really, I think it's only, 17 miles like if you were to um, fly straight to the coast it's really only 17 miles away and um the water is super cold over there um it's really hot over here so that's where that wind comes from the thermal dynamics that are happening but right uh that wind that comes in every single day you know blows off that we even get coastal and valley fog up here even in the middle of summer this morning it was actually really foggy and everything was wet and I'm looking outside right now, you know, it's uh, 10 o'clock and we're already starting, starting to see the winds blow through and it's clearing up, but wow. that wind is going to dry everything off um, and kind of make it not possible for powdery mildew to even grow. And then the, the being head trained too, that wind is allowed to basically go through and around the vines. Um, we, we prune and thin in a way that, that makes makes the canopy very open um, compared to like trellising or, or, you know, cordon style like that. Um, yeah. So there's a ton many... of airflow that happens in the vineyard and that helps with bugs and powdery mildew for sure. True. Right. Well, how, how many canes are you doing per vine, like allowing to mature? Like how many uh, spur positions, I guess I should put it that way. That, you know, that's our, our pruning techniques have changed over the years just to kind of combat, um, the, the vigorous years and then the low growth years. Um, uh -huh. so it's kind of interesting. We have, we have changed up our pruning quite a bit the last, the last 10 years. Um, okay. I, you know, I would say roughly as a general, um, you know, our, our dry farm stuff up here is, um, we have like six arms and about two canes off each arm, you know, so, okay. you know, 12, 12 to 18. Okay. Um, yeah no that's that's significant yeah that's the and is it are you going for sort of a christmas tree alternating spur position or more of like a goblet style or a goblet style you know um yeah. we don't really um you know we, whatever the vine is happiest at <laughs> doing ah, i gotcha yeah um, yeah so yeah. really not every vine is pruned exactly the same uh gotcha. it really it's um it, it really is a task to to get to each vine and and to look at um you know uh what's doing better what's not and kind of focusing on that on on that and making decisions by 
by studying the vine first. Yeah. Not just going for it and getting everything the same height and, you know, everything 45 degrees from each other. Um, right. you know, that's always, that's always things that we, that we look for, um, as the optimal growing, uh, techniques, but, um, yeah, whatever the vine's happiest at and there's different parts of the vineyard that it's, it's different. So. Yeah, I definitely feel that as well. I mean, I've, I've approached on this, on a very small scale, uh, that, you know, the care for the vines on that, in that way, as, as if they're individuals, you know, and they're expressing individuality and letting them do that, you know, just sort of responding to them rather than forcing them into a specific thing. But it does, brings in challenges, you they know, it's less consistent. <laughs> Say that again. They, they definitely have their own personalities. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, I can see why, you know, if you're in a big, if you're doing a big extractive form of viticulture, you know, that's, that's hard to allow for because it's you know, yeah. inconsistent, you know, it's less, uh, mechanic, mechanizable. Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, it just slows you down when you're caring for them because you have to think more about each individual vine. Um, but I think that sounds like kind of the approach that you guys take a lot of listening and observing. Everything here is based on quality than rather than quantity. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that every decision that we make in, in the winery too is, is based on that. And are you, I mean, I'm just thinking about dry farming in the past few years. Um, can you, can you sort of talk about what that has been like? Um, dry um, farming you know, during the drought, the extremes of the drought. I mean, I'm guessing that's why you put in some irrigation, but I mean, did you even have production? Um, so yeah, as an example, I'll just, I'll just like throw out some yields. Um, yeah. So we, we planted the vines in, in 03 and 05. Um, and you know, our best years of production was 2010, 2011, and we were getting about two tons an acre. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, completely dry. Um, and, um, we had a crazy freeze in 11 and 12. We probably would have had a bigger yield. Um, but we had a freeze, uh, late freeze. And then, um, so we lost at least half of our crop that year. Um, and then, and then the drought hit, um, you know, that <laughs> solid five year drought. So, um, that 2010 11 year was the the best yields we've ever saw and then 2015 were the worst yields we ever saw and we were seriously getting 300 pounds an acre um so you know and the vines were growing and they were producing and they still had canes but you know um the fruit set it was you know next to nothing um so that's that's really when we questioned irrigation and um decided not to up until this year. Um, but that's also when we kind of reached out and, um, you know, some contacts that we have with, within the, within the, the industry and, and growers. And, um, you know, we decided to purchase some fruit around then. So we've, we've made some really fun, exciting wines that we, that we, uh, wouldn't be able to do with just our own fruit. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like interesting varieties and, really super long skin maceration and so um you know you can look at the drought and be all against it but um it actually opened up a door for um 
these other wines that have almost become our, our flagship wines. Um, oh, interesting. I'm guessing you're sourcing from people with similar farming ethos ethics. Yes, that we totally, <laughs> totally agree with them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, now the trees, did they, have you noticed any, uh, impact on the vineyard from the, those, you know, where you have the sort of, I guess you almost call it like a hedgerow between the blocks of, of, uh, olive trees. Do we, do we notice what, sorry? Oh, any, any impacts, any, you know, benefits or, uh, or the opposite, uh, on the vines. Oh, by having olives? Yeah. Just, or yeah. Like having the, yeah. Yeah. Having yeah. those trees within, you know, sort of between blocks and things like that. Yeah. The olive trees, you know, um, they attract different insects than the vines do. Um, yeah. which, uh, I guess number one, um, so there, there, you know, we have praying mantis and lizards and, um, birds that make nests in the olive trees. Um, you know, and all these things, um, ladybugs actually really like olive trees too. I've, I've found out and, and bees. Um, so, um, yeah, so they, you know, they come out and take care of the pessimistic bugs on the vines. And then, um, they also, they're, they also create a, a wind barrier. Like I said, it gets super windy up here. Um, We, and because of that, it's kind of sad because the, the olive yields are kind of low because of that. Uh, The the olive trees start flowering right when windy season happens here in the spring. So we lose Uh, a lot of crop just to shatter and um, tons of wind blowing off those flowers and <laughs> yep <laughs> and, um but they they actually serve as like a little wind blockage too and a little shade in the um in the afternoon too so um it's also just beautiful to look at you know um yeah and yeah it, it just it creates uh biodiversity in the vineyard it's the, the greatest way to do it um you know i have, i have visions of interplanting like apple trees and you know, um, different, different kinds of trees, but, um, yeah, it's, um, I I think they're pretty beneficial for, for what we're doing here. So what's the, but with that vision of interplanting apple trees, um, uh, you know, water and care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) More work for you to do. You mean, uh, um, well, limited water resources already, and now you're adding another, uh, water yeah. sort of intensive crop. Yeah, exactly. That, that really has pushed us to not really plant, um, to go that right. direction. Well, I think that's, what's great about olives there. They do so well in our dry Mediterranean climate. Um, they, I mean, there's barely need any water. It's, it's amazing how much they produce when they, when they don't get any water. Um, yeah. Have you considered things like pomegranates or figs that are really low water uh, that can really withstand drought? Um, maybe agave. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> prickly pear would be my suggestion i'm yeah, just exactly. saying <laughs> some kind of cactus you know um yeah yeah it, it does feel like desert here at times <laughs> yeah 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 I, I i think that probably would be smart yeah i mean you were talking about two inches of rain that's that's like almost worse than la here in the inland part of la um speaking of la <laughs> yeah you hear the sirens in the background um well you you brought up beauty the be- I mean just the beautiful thing of it I, I I was thinking about that just in 
you know, looking through your website and stuff like that and, and having been there, I mean, to me, this is such an important thing. Like, I actually have been toying with this question and um, I'll just throw out there. It's like, you know, the human imagination is so powerful. I mean, you know, we've created, we can, we've created these massive global structures that, you know, a lot of times I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, worrying about, I guess is one way to put it. But the alternative to that is like the power of our imagination to create beauty and beautiful things and things that, you know, at, at our peak, at our, you know, at the peak of our powers can just be these like living things of magic um, that, that wouldn't have existed without the human imagination. I think of, I guess the question I'm wrestling with is like thinking about the kind of brain power uh, that went into creating the atomic bomb, for example. Um, and what if we, what could we, what, what could we come up with if we use that same kind of brain power toward beauty, toward a beautiful creation? Yeah. Or not um, even beauty creation, but, um, uh, you know, sustainability and living with the natural environment. Um, yeah. I, well, I mean, that's maybe just a definition awful. of beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me, it, it completely, um, yeah. my naturalist at heart. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Um, me too. It'd be awesome to see um, civilization kind of harness a little bit more um, energy and power with um, living with Mother Nature for sure, and and you know perennial crops and just um, permaculture and um, you know I always look at the Central Valley here in California. It, it what it makes seventy two percent of the food. I think I have that completely wrong, but it's like a large percentage of the food for the United States, and it's like wouldn't that be incredible to make like the central Valley, like a big, not necessarily biodynamic system, but some kind of like rotational system, you know, where you basically mm. have animals come through and clean up a crop. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Or just like yeah, yeah. a little bit more and, you know, kind of creating like, it, it could be such a, a beautiful place and it is yeah. in, in its own way. But, um, you know, you can't help but notice like the huge cattle farms <laughs> and then like, yeah. uh, you know, the fast food cattle farms that are just like so stagnant and, you know, like the, you mean, just, when you say notice, them. you mean smell them <laughs> as you drive by on the five kind of but thing. Yeah, you can't help but be like, the nine, oh, nine. like that doesn't smell like cattle manure. You know? um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's really weird. And it's like, wow, what are they eating in those troughs all the time? And, um, mm. I mean, that's just the livestock part of it. But then you go past those huge fields of almonds, you know, that mm. needs tons of water. Um, and they're just dead zones. They're just nuked on the ground. There's no no well, living thing nuked, under the tree. Using, using pesticides that affect the, the community of insects in that whole area, you know. And then, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's kind of, kind of a mess. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, like you were saying, it would be so amazing to harness humans capabilities of of creating that that kind of thing and and uh just making something beautiful of it for sure or, or at least like we were saying just living with nature yeah i mean you i love i love you you brought up nature spirits and, and you just i didn't want to gloss over that because i love that idea but where'd that idea come from for you guys um you, you know, it's, uh, I, I believe it's just a term that we've, that we've kind of inherited from books and, and writings about biodynamics and, and mm. 
and why people do it. Um, but you know, it's, uh, nature spirits is just, um, um, you know, it's a term of, of recognizing energies that we can't necessarily see. And that's, that's the whole basics basis of, of biodynamics. Um, you know, you have the argument all the time that, you know, science scientifically proven and all that stuff, but it's like, I think there's a lot more things going on in, in the energies of the cosmos and just, just everything. Um, that that we can't see and it's like there i think there's a lot a lot of stuff going on yeah um, and that's you know biodynamics is, is based on that so yeah well yeah. I, I, it, it doesn't hurt that nature spirits has that double entendre that does really well with um alcoholic beverages Maybe <laughs> it's like you you're, you're incorporating nature spirits to make nature spirits um whoa <laughs> i like that <laughs> right <laughs> Um, well, cool. How, so what, what, how do you guys, what, how can people find out more and, and, uh, visit and taste and buy your stuff? What's the, what are the best ways? Um, so, um, seeing it with your own eyes is definitely a unique experience. Like I said, our vineyard looks so different from, from, um, everyone around us <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, so coming here to the vineyard and the winery and, uh, we offer tours up here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's reservation, but we can handle big groups, small groups. Uh, we can do private. It's usually you meet with me or my wife, Robin. Um, and you know, we're, we, we don't hide anything. Um, uh, you know, you come right into the winery, you see, you know, we explain how we grow, um, how we how we produce um what makes us unique and and i think everyone that leaves here um if, if they didn't learn something they're they're at least um kind of um at least mind change on on how things are done so uh for that it's a great experience so coming up here and doing a tour is great um you can always go on our website and get products on there um sent right to your door or you can yeah pick up at the tasting room um ambeth ambethestate.com a-m-b-y-t-h estate.com yep that's it and um and then uh sign up for our newsletter we have a bunch of uh you know really small lots that get um that that occasionally are only um possible to get uh, online on our website and our wine club kind of works the same way you choose your own wines um, you get a discount, you get invited to our, our parties up here and kind of, uh, just to kind of, um, be with us on everything. So, um, sign up for wine club if you're interested in that. And then, uh, we do have a tasting room that, that has been opened, um, since 2020. Um, <laughs> that was, and that's down in, um, in Templeton and it's right off the 101. So if you're cruising through, um, Paso, you know, make it a, make it a nice lunch spot there. Um, we're right in a uh, nursery and a natural grocer. So it's a great spot to just stop and grab a glass or grab a bottle and, or do a tasting flight and have some lunch. Um, and, uh, yeah, or visit us at any time we're on the road. We do pourings, um, around the world and, um, it's always nice to see everybody when we're out on the road too. So, um, again, you can sign up for our newsletter online and 
and follow us. I noticed that you just describe yourself uh, where you put winemaker, but then you in parentheses put wine grower. Um, is that a, do you see some tension between those two things? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I understand that winemaker is totally a definition, but I, I'm, I'm not really a wine maker, you know? Um, it's kind of funny. It's like, I definitely think I'm of myself as a wine grower. Uh, I think that's just a, a, a much better way to say it because I understand the fruit that comes in and I'm very, even our purchase fruit, I'm very close to those vineyards and, um, just understanding that it's, it is quality fruit. So like I said, you bring it into the winery and it pretty much makes itself, um, yeah. as, in, as in, I don't need to add yeast or enzymes or we've never had a stuck fermentation before. If, if anything's going slow, we put it outside for a little bit and heat it up and it, Oh wow. It goes like crazy. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's more, I know it's cheesy to say, but like a, kind of like a, a shepherd, you know, Yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> watching over the wine and, and taking the steps, but I'm definitely not creating something from nothing, <laughs> right. um, which, which makes, makes me think of what a winemaker is like more, right. more like a chemist than a artist. Um, right. Which I believe wine grower is more of a farmer, artist, kind of making something with what you have. Which, mm -hmm. um, if it is quality, it's going to turn out quality. Um, finger, fingers crossed. <laughs> right. Well, well. Speaking of which, maybe my last question for you: This has been a unique year so far. Um, probably one of the wettest winters. Uh, I think. I think I just looked. It's at least around here. It's one of the ten top eight wettest winters on record um you guys got a lot of rain probably had a much later bud break than normal and yeah. are yeah. you worried at all do you have any predictions for how this year is gonna go for you yeah it's um no this this year is an anomaly uh in in the last you know 15 years for sure um yeah, with how wet it got and then how cool um, the spring and summer has been, everything's behind. We're, we're like two or three weeks behind. We're only getting Verasion right now, yeah. uh, which, you know, we usually get Verasion like, gosh, anywhere from, um, you know, the beginning of July. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I would say some of our early varieties are like almost a month behind. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. But again, Mother Nature throwing throwing another curveball. It's um, you know, we've had a hundred and six degree days, like the last yeah. <laughs> um, like two weeks. We've been pretty much a hundred degrees the last two weeks. Um, it went from like a whole a spring where like your high was probably seventy, and then within like a two week period, you jumped to a hundred degree, like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's nuts. Um, yeah, we even had like really like thick cloud coverage during spring and yeah uh, so yeah it's a it's a weird year um and now i think it looks like the forecast calms down a little bit we kind of get back more into the 80s which is pretty nice um the good thing about here is where our, our proximity to the coast is um our we have the largest diurnal swings um in in north america right here so we're is it like 50 60 degree swings yes yeah. 50 degree yeah. nights. Yeah. And 106 during the day. Yeah. So we're, yeah. you know, 
be 55. Um, wow. So it cools down every night, um, which is which is awesome for the grapes to kind of hang on a little bit longer and and properly mature on the vine, um, and and not really have that like um, ambient heat at night where they can ripen a little bit too fast for their maturity and they just kind of um, you know they don't they don't have every everything that they need to do what they need to do in the winery. So uh, yeah, this year's funky. We're just going to have to <laughs> take it as it comes, you know. Um, we we have done like a couple chamomile sprays in the in the vineyard just to calm down the vines and make them not stress mm. and eat. Um, and uh, you know, kind of, yeah, take it day by day, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting, but like I said, it's, it's the challenge, right? Yeah. <laughs> Farming is not easy. Oh man. It's only getting harder. It sounds like too. Um, it seems like climate. Well, thanks. Pests yes. And everything. Yes. everything. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's the, the best fun ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like your vision for converting the central Valley into sort of a regional, beautiful, um, <laughs> you know, fully managed, you know, maybe biodynamic or better like a permaculture ecosystem that you know becomes an even more of a resilient and beautiful and you know well we have all those healthy bread basket for the world we have all those rooftops and parking lots in la too so (laughs) (laughs) believe me you know really cool vineyards on the top of some of those buildings i'll tell you what (laughs) (laughs) i've been talking to my neighbors believe me um (laughs) Trying, try my best. No takers yet. Drawing. <laughs> try. I'm working on it, but I, I do. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. Uh, if you need any help planting uh, prickly pear there, let me know. I think it's a great way to go. I think there. I think there's a lot of opportunity in California with prickly pear. You, I think you once you get over the thorns, you realize how amazing of a crop it is. Like how amazing of a plant it is. It's really delicious cool. in in every way um yeah I'll so on, i'll put you on our volunteer newsletter <laughs> all right awesome definitely yeah i'd love to talk more about that for sure awesome all right well cool thanks very much Gala. i really appreciate it. i wish robin could have made it but uh really glad to get to talk to you and uh, we'll we'll do another one with her sounds good yeah let's do it soon thanks for having me Adam. Thanks so much for listening to that. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Man, re-listening, there are just so many things that Gellert shared that I'm really glad that we had this conversation. I got to share that with you. And if you enjoyed this, if you want to support this work in any way, probably the best way is to subscribe via our Patreon. The link to that will be in the show notes and on the support page at organicwinepodcast.com. Also, even just a great review, five stars and some encouraging word is very beneficial. If you would please take the time to do that, doesn't cost anything other than a minute of your time, or just tell somebody, share this episode, forward it to somebody, and that will spread the word as well. Thank you so much for your support.